Coming at you live from Hills, Minnesota. Bovcast. 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 This is Bovcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Bobcast. 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 Hey, Caleb, I've got a problem. What is it? There's somebody in my house. Have you called the cops yet? Um, I'm thinking about it. Or animal control. Yeah, prob- that probably animal control, actually. That would seem to be a more fitting response. More suitable. Well, what what does this animal look like? He's uh, about five foot eight, wears glasses. Oh, wait, it's you. Hi. Coming at you live from Hills, Minnesota. Yeah, um, Hills, Minnesota. For the first time in the history of Bobcast, we're doing something we've never done before. We're actually... In the same place, recording together. We don't actually have an air horn. Uh, that the not, neither do we have a sampler. That was me making foie sounds with my mouth and hand. Yeah. If we ever establish a uh, a Patreon and receive uh, donors, uh, the first thing we will invest in is real air horns. You think anybody would actually pay money for this? No. I mean, they shouldn't. I wouldn't. That would be poor use of resources. That's true. Not good stewardship. Uh, so, since we're together and, you know, things are already, you know, going to be more unhinged than usual because we're together, we're going to take up a very simple, non-controversial, uh, non-problematic topic today. Creation! And with that, Andrew, do you recant in calling me a human and animal? Uh... I only I didn't say that you were an animal. I just said that we might need animal control to deal with you. Well, the implication is that you believe man has a uh, common ancestor with animals, right? Uh, I I don't know what you're talking about. Well, we have someone thankfully who does and can sort out these sort of conundrums. Yes. In stupidities. His name is Herman Bovink, allegedly. If he was Mexican uh, or Hispanic, his name would be Hermano. Hermano. Doesn't that mean like brother. cousin or bo- brother. brother? Okay. Hermano Ermin Bovink. Brother Ermin Bro. <laughs> bro. Bro Bovink. Brovink. Brovink. Welcome to Brocast. We're here to talk about Brovink. We should introduce yourselves, ourselves, yourselves. Us selves, yeah. themselves. I'm your uh, co-host Chad, because this is the Brocast, and I am your other co-host. Who's it? Who's it besides Chad? Also Chad. I'm also Chad, and this is Chadcast. I thought we were Brocast. We bro. are, bro. We're, bro, dude. Bro, we're Brocast, not not Chadcast. That's what I said, bro. Bro, it's gonna be a good day. But really, my <laughs> name is Caleb Castro. My name is Andrew Smith. And from my vantage point, I can see Heidi Smith, and she's ashamed of us. So yeah. sorry, Heidi. Our our producer, and also now our intro and outro voiceover, because I changed it, and Caleb never told me I couldn't. <laughs> it probably sounds better than you. So I would imagine people get tired of hearing me at the beginning and the end and all points in between of this show. I've been here less than twenty four hours, and I'm already tired. 
Fine, get out. Okay. <laughs> Insert door, opening, Bye. closing, sound effect. Slam. And so today on this solo... No. <laughs> <laughs> solo Chadcast. Um, so, creation. Wonderful works of God, chapter 11. Not the bankruptcy. <laughs> That would be sad. Yeah, nobody wants to go bankrupt. So, I like this, actually, this this first little bit here, uh, first couple sentences of this chapter, where he goes from relating the previous chapters on the Trinity, now to the Trinity as in the, uh, the nature and persons of God, so who God is, now relating it to what he does uh, in terms of his acts, his works. So we are properly getting into speaking the wonderful works of God. Whoa. Whoa. He only, said the only thing. Only 11 chapters to get into what this book's about. Also, we're coming up on our anniversary here. Maybe by actually by the time this episode launches, it'll be about two years, right? Yeah, we launched around the first few days of April in mm-hmm. 2020. I think we might have actually launched on April Fool's Day. Oh, I think you're right. This, that this sounds is, that sounds right. This is the this is the April Fool's joke that won't go away. Well, thanks for tuning in to Bobcast. We hope you learned something. Will April Fools? So, because we know you learned nothing. <laughs> so two years later, we're in chapter eleven. Now, <laughs> <laughs> still a bankruptcy joke. <laughs> so uh bobbing starts in saying uh now relating the previous doctrine on the trinity with creation he says the practical significance of the doctrine of the trinity for the life of the christian is evidence enough that the holy scripture does not uh, want to give us an abstract concept of deity but rather wants to put us into contact all of us personally with the living and triune god well, how does that happen scripture bobbing says breaks off our notions and concepts and leads us back to God himself. Hence, Scripture does not argue about God, but presents him to us and shows him in all the works of his hand. So everything in design of creation is to point us back to God, origin and source, leading us to God, towards uh, understanding our end, our purpose in creation. So here, he continues at the end of that first paragraph, we do not learn to know and to glorify God independence from his work, but rather in and through his works in nature and in grace. And this is where we're then pointed to that uh, principal work or that first work of creation. On the top of page 145, Boving starts to get into the discussion of why did creation happen? What was going on in creation? What is it for? And what is the relationship between creation and God? And he starts by saying, Uh, Moreover, all the works of God are brought into being neither indifferently nor under compulsion, but deliberately and freely. Now, he goes on to discuss this more later in terms of various theories about why God created. Some postulate that God created out of an overflowing abundance of his love and goodness, which I know a lot of people, even like Reformed people, will say that, and it sounds good, but there's some potential issues there. Or others say that God created because there was something that was lacking, something that he needed. We can't, in light of especially what we've seen with our doctrine of God, for instance, his simplicity and impassibility, we can't go there because we can't say that God needed to create Uh, Because God is self-existent. God uh, has in himself everything that he needs. 
But as far as the purpose of creation, Bavink here enters into the discussion of God's will, God's counsel in terms of God's decree and his reasons for his works, including making the world. Yeah, and so that, that's a good way uh, to understand the relationship between counsel and uh, decree. We speak of God's perfect, uh, all-wise, holy counsel or his uh, perfect wisdom as uh, that which is his attribute of God. Now, when we say counsel, just specifying, since this is an audio program, we're talking counsel as in C-O-U-N-S-E-L, not C-I-L, that's something else. Not conciliar, no. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, his counsel, but in terms of his attributes, his perfect all-encompassing wisdom, omniscience, omnipotence, etc. But then also in relation to the decree, his decree, which is the outward working or the, you could say the action, the act of God of his wisdom actually occurring. And just as a, as a note, uh, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9, question answer 26, it asks, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, uh, of course, expositing that first main article of the Apostles' Creed. Answer, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, note how the answer uh, already connects uh, already answers in, in the connection of the two persons, uh, two of the persons, the Father and the Son. The Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ, his Son. And so we already get some indications of the purposes of creation uh, here in Question answer 26, in speaking of God as our Father, uh, but for the sake of Christ his Son. So all is for, ultimately, the glory of God, and uh, there's a benefit towards his creatures. And Bavink is alluding to these portions of the Catechism, questions 26 through 28, particularly the parts about God the Father and creation and providence in the top of page 146. And just as the Catechism does, he speaks about this council as a source of comfort. This world is not an accident. This world is not purposeless. As we've talked about before, even uh, things like deism where God created the world and is not interested or involved in it. No, nothing could be further from the truth. God sustains and governs and rules the world by his counsel and providence at all times, in all ways. Right, and on that very note, uh, the Heidelberg continues with that uh, in question 26 and saying that I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. Now here in this question, uh, in this answer, there's already a, something of a transition towards the doctrine of providence in that you see creation is very uh, related to the doctrine of providence. But we get uh, that something of that answer, uh, as Andrew was already mentioning, in terms of how does this benefit us? Uh, how, how do we understand creation? Well, there's comfort. Comfort and provision of whatever I need for body and soul that will turn to my good. Where that stems from in God, though, how creation is understood in, in relation to God, uh, Belgic Confession Article 12 will be getting some uh, language from this. So this is something of a primer for where we're going here with Bobbing. Uh, the Belgic Confession says uh, in that first paragraph, we believe that the Father created heaven and earth and all other creatures from nothing when it seemed good to him by his word, that is to say, by his son. So that language is when it seemed good to him, uh, we'll have a recurring phrase of sorts as the good pleasure of God. Here in about the middle of 
the paragraph Andrew had to start on on page 145. Bobbing says that the Holy Scripture expresses that God brings everything into being according to his will or counsel. In other words, all the works of God, both those of creation and those of redemption, are the product not only of his thought, but also of his will. Humanly speaking, we can say that every work of God is preceded by a deliberation of the mind and a decision of the will. In some passages of scripture, the word used is counsel. In some, establishment or decree. In some, purpose and ordination. And in some, it is the favor or good pleasure of God. Uh, St. Paul speaks of the good pleasure and of the counsel of God's will. And so this is where you're getting in. Uh, he, he's pulling from also the Belgic Confession in this. Uh, he appeals to Ephesians 1, 5, and 11, but he's using the structuring of Belgic Confession 12 in Heidelberg 26 uh, to frame this starting point of his discussion. When it seemed good to him, God created. Continuing on page 146, we see as far as the execution of God's counsel in time, the first act of that was creation. As we read in the second full paragraph on 146, the beginning of the carrying out of this counsel of the Lord was the creation of the world, just as the Holy Scriptures alone can give us to know the counsel of God. So the counsel of God, not known through other means, but only known through Scripture. So they alone show us the origin of all things, telling us of God's creative omnipotence. The question as to the origin of things, of man and animal and plant, and of the whole world is an old question, but it always remains an appropriate one. And then this is where he starts to get into something that will be very important as we work our way through this material, the relationship of creation and science. He says, science can supply no answer to it. And just to state on that, this is a, one of the best points of the whole chapter. This sentence uh, Andrew just read in the following. Could you uh, emphasize or read that again, Andrew, that part? Science can supply no answer to it. Science is itself a creature and a product of time. It takes its position on the basis of things as they are made and assumes the existence of the things it investigates. From the nature of the case, therefore, science cannot go back to the time when things were not yet. Science cannot penetrate to the moment when they were given reality. Now, yeah, this struck me too in reading through this is probably the biggest takeaway of this chapter as far as life in the world as we have it now. I mean, there's obviously a lot of important things in this chapter, but we live in an age where Science is often seen as the final arbiter of things and the highest arbiter of things because we're in a secular age that has largely rejected God as the reason for anything or the maker of anything. Science then has to be brought in and sit in place of God to help us to understand why things are and what things are. We're not typically getting into current events on this podcast, but we've seen this just in the last week. Uh, there was a confirmation hearing for a Supreme Court justice, and the justice, uh, the candidate to be a justice, was asked, what is a woman? And she would not answer the question because she said she is not a biologist. So something is so basic, so fundamental, so creational as what is a man, what is a woman. We even have to defer to science on that because in many ways our society and culture has put science in the place of God. And Bob Inc. here is telling us, I mean, over a hundred years ago, just how vain of a pursuit that is. Yeah, that's in, that, that's right on the nose. I think maybe in some ways we do we, we do underestimate uh, even for Christians how much of 
the worldview of our society and our age really does affect uh, the way in which we think about everything. We do tend towards a more naturalistic explanation or deferment to things or more materialistic deferrent. In this time, Bob Inc. speaks of what was prevalent in his age at the, the end of uh, modernism, uh, the modernist period. Uh, there was a large appeal to empiricism, as he says, in the paragraph following what Andrew had read, uh, the last full paragraph on 146, accordingly, experience and empirical investigation can tell us nothing about the origin of things. This is speaking of basically we uh, experience, observe, and sense the world around us. uh, And by this empirical uh, or by experience, by experiencing things, we can then sort them out from there in our minds, categorize them, log them, and try to sort them out, organize them, and whatnot. Part of this is the nature of empiricism itself. What is empiricism? What is scientific method? Uh, It's supposed to be focused on observation, what can be observed, what can be tested, uh, even what can be repeated, often in like a laboratory setting or something of that sort. Origins are not something that are within that scope, Science can't observe or test or redo creation. We weren't there. We don't know from empirical observation uh, what happened or what it looked like or what sort of, of natural processes were involved there. So when science begins to speculate into these things, it's really doing just that. It's speculating. It's going beyond its own prescribed boundaries. This is where perhaps even uh, today, uh, Christians could perhaps still tend towards, at least speaking in America, can tend towards something of uh, an empiricism or uh, looking to answer science or scientific claims, naturalistic scientific claims, I should say, with basically polemics, with arguing, give me like, you know, Christian interpretations of science, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but we're more concerned at times, I think, with answering science with alternate science, if you will, rather than doing what I think Bob Inc. is emphasizing here uh, from that paragraph Andrew had read, science can supply no answer. Science is itself a creature and a product of time. All this means that there's an old dictum that science uh, the theology is the queen of sciences, right? I believe Bob Inc. himself says that in various places. Uh, yes, actually. Um, I think it's in his prolegomena, if I recall. But theology is the queen of the science. We'll say something to the effect of philosophy is her handmaiden. What we see as the natural sciences, or people call the hard sciences, or whatever, is a form of philosophy. And philosophy is the servant or handmaiden of theology. So in other words... We are not going to make sense of science in any form or way without first going to the creator of science and of all things. In this day and age, I think uh, even there, there's a break away from uh, from science or hard science towards pseudoscience or psychologizing. We're in the age of the psychotherapeutic. So uh, when, when you get something like the Supreme Court uh, justice nominee uh, making a claim, well, I'm not a biologist, I can't know. Well, she's not actually appealing to science. I mean, she, she's bowing a knee to a perceived God, but she's going and really permitting basically what the psychological state of an individual, the, the inner thought of an individual wants to deem their gender to be by choice yeah what the the soft sciences of our age which um for one thing are obviously very politicized um but also very far outside of the lane of empirical science much more based on 
experience and claims of experience of individuals not really having an objective basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in in one respect, then Bob Inc. is uh, answering the modernism of his time. We can still find a general application to this if we're looking at his main point of science or philosophies and reasoning regarding science conclusions of science are incorrect if they don't have a proper starting point which is god right this is a really good statement that bob and gets into getting towards the bottom of page 146 near the end of that bigger paragraph he starts talking about evolution so the idea of evolution he says or development has been has gained ground uh in his time was gaining ground according to this idea nothing is everything becomes what the entire universe presents, therefore, is the spectacle of something which never began and which will never cease. A continuing process, therefore. As I read this part, I started to wonder if maybe we we were seeing some of uh, the influence of Hegel here. Um, Hegel, of course, known for his view of history as process, uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Uh, that was very has been very influential to modern and, and postmodern thought and philosophy. And some of theology now, too, uh, in certain sure. strands, right? Yeah, I mean, we have process theology. We have things like open theism, where they even start to look at God as becoming, God as moving towards something, God as learning, um, that even God himself is a part of this process rather than the creator and governor of it. When you'll get certain strands uh, in, if you will, perhaps this concept of God's being is becoming uh, certain takes in neo-orthodoxy. So I had that same thought, too. But in looking at that sentence, uh, what, he, what Bob Inc. says is that nothing is, everything becomes. Uh, later on, he'll even speak in terms of God and that God is and other things become. The, the, he, he makes a distinction, uh, and yet without separation, but he makes a distinction between God's person and in, in, in acts and how that actually affects the created world. There's a distinction then uh, that blocks uh, any notion of, say, a process theology. But then what do you make of this sentence? I, uh, I thought this was a really, uh, really interesting way for him to phrase this. That next paragraph, uh, evolution is no doubt a wonderful thing, but always it must assume that there is something which is evolving and which carries within itself the germ of development. Yeah, that is a, that is a fascinating sentence. The very nature of what evolution is, is it implies a, a movement, a transition from one thing to another. So there is no evolution from nothing into something. There is no evolution from uh, something to something else substantially different. Um, and another way to put this is also that uh, Bopping is stating that uh, there is no unity to account for the diversity. Uh, there's no universal to account for the particulars. So there, there is no actual initial common strand that is a beginning, ultimately, uh, an origin point, if you don't have God here in evolution. Uh, so this is not to argue for a theistic evolution, but simply something doesn't come from a nothing. Right. So continuing on around the middle of page 147... Bavink gets into a couple of versions, a couple of theories uh, to try to explain the origin of the world apart from God. He presents two of them. The first is materialism. We've already mentioned it, uh, which is based on the idea that matter was eternal. 
Um, as, he, as he says, it holds that matter is the eternal, the originally immutable constituent of the world, and it now seeks to explain energy in terms of matter, so the soul in terms of the body, and the f- psychical in terms of the physical. This is probably, in our day, the predominant position. Mm-hmm. It seems like it sort of has won out over and against the other option that he presents, which is pantheism. The idea where energy is the primary thing and the ground of all things and that matter is an expression of pantheism or polytheism. Uh, As he says, it holds that energy is the eternal basic principle of all things and it tries to derive the present world from that elemental energy. This original energy held to be pervasive throughout the world. Pantheism endows with all kinds of beautiful and resplendent names, whether of spirit, mind, soul, or other. I think this is still around. You can still see it in various forms of uh, spirituality and the like. But I still think in our day, what is predominant now is materialism. We're looking for natural causes, natural processes to explain everything that even things like our soul, even things that might have previously been attributed to the, the spiritual man are really just a result of, of natural processes of things firing off in our bodies and our brains and so forth. Right. Such as with that, uh, that phrase he said there, you read a moment ago, now seeks to explain energy in terms of matter, soul in terms of body, psychical in terms of physical. Uh, regarding the, the, the view of energy as the primary thing uh, of which the existing things come from. Yeah, you, you'll find in certain fringe science movements such as, oh, I forget the phrase right now, but basically uh, appeals back to Greek philosophy on the concept of uh, aether aether being a uh an invisible uh force that uh holds things together you could find it in some sense now, now I, I think actually you 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 get a boring of the lines in things like uh quantum uh quantum physics um when we're talking about string theory even these creational particles if you will uh the the fabrics of the universe it's virtually speaking them as an aether or an energy of which matter is comprised which also goes back into Lucretius in the ancient period and his positing uh, an atomism or small little invisible balls that uh, hold together as the fabric of the universe. So there, there becomes something of a blurring, I think, of between matter and energy uh, that you find in these kind of thoughts. Uh, these little string particles or whatnot are virtually creational energies. What is interesting, though, in both of these theories is that uh, whether one takes a materialistic position or a pantheistic position, both of these are trying to fill a vacuum essentially created by the abandonment of God, uh, the idea of God as a first cause of all things. So what you have is not so much a rejection of God, but essentially the creation of a new God. In either of these views, either matter or energy essentially becomes God, becomes the explanation, the first principle of all things. And this is actually what uh, then Bovink even gets at, uh, just what you said. So we'll go on to page 148. I think it's the first, starting from that first sentence there. As a matter of fact, it is nothing definite, uh, that being these these principles, uh, whether matter or energy or whatever. These things merely have the potential of becoming everything. It is an absolute potentiality, an infinite possibility, and here, what you said, a deified abstraction of thought. At bottom, it is the imagining of something in the absence of the one true God in which scientific man puts his confidence in explaining the world, but which is no more deserving of such confidence than the gods of the nations. 
So distinguished from this materialism or pantheism, Boving says, we are looking on page 148, the scripture's explanation of the origin of the world does not proceed from the world, so not from matter, not from energy, but from God. It holds that not the world, but God is eternal. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever the earth and the world were made, even from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. So they're quoting Psalm 90. He is Jehovah who is and was and shall be, who is beyond the reach of all words, a fullness of immutable being. In distinction from him, the world has become and is always becoming. So coming back to what we mentioned earlier, God is creation is becoming Mm -hmm. exactly that goes right back to here where you see bovink is not uh following hegel and his language in this sense he's making the proper distinction and separation of creator and creation god uh is being god is but god is not undergoing processes of uh, processes or a process of development of becoming uh god acts God, you could in a manner, to put it in, in, in a soft sense, uh, you, you could say that God is his act, that that could be a legitimate phrasing uh, parsed out, but we don't say that God is his being is becoming. God's nature is consistent and shown forth in his works. He does as he is, but he is not a process. And so we have here the distinction between creator and creature, and this is so vital for understanding so much of our theology, uh, the recognition that uh, God does not change, God is not dependent, cannot be made dependent on anything that he has made. He does not change, he does not react in the way that we react, where we undergo change in reaction to things. Uh, God is. Uh, God is self-existent, he is unchanging, Uh, We are not, and we must maintain this distinction. Yeah, and going uh, towards the the end of page 148 and into uh, the final sections of page 149 here before those three asterisks, uh, Bobby then starts talking about the precision of the language out of nothing. So this is not to say that there... He basically says that this this isn't to say that uh, God made out of nothing, that, that God made from nothing, so that as if nothing was the material, if you will. He, he pretty much says that these uh, this expression, out of nothing, can be taken in a usable sense. It can perform excellent service over and against all kinds of heresies. For it denies that the world was made out of some stuff or matter or energy which coexisted eternally alongside of God. According to scripture, God is not solely he who formed the world, but also he who created it. So he wants to be precise that simply in saying out of nothing, we are saying God created, not that God formed from nothing. Or that God organized. Right. One of my pet projects is studying the theology of Latter-day Saints, and uh, they, for one, hold that that God, the God of this universe, who wasn't always a God, but that he organizes this universe out of pre-existing material, pre-existing matter. So we see yet another issue, yet another distortion uh, in our day of these doctrines. Yes, and uh, as Boving then appeals uh, to large amount of uh, scriptural witness in ending this uh, first section of the chapter, uh, starting from that paragraph, such. Such surely is the express teaching of scripture. God existed from eternity. The world had a beginning. God had predestined or loved before the foundation of the earth and other such examples. God is powerful in that he just has to speak and things are. 
and that he calls those things which are not as though they were. He gives the world its being solely through his will. He made the entirety of all things, uh, heaven and earth, all that is in them, etc., etc. At the end of that paragraph, the Holy Scripture knows nothing of an unformed eternal matter alongside of God. He is the one absolute cause of all this and all that happens. The visible things were not made of things that do appear, but the whole world was framed by the word of God. And so on one hand, we have then... Bobbing simply affirming throughout this whole first section, God is eternal. Nothing else actually is uh, inherently. Uh, and he's going to go later on to say uh, a distinction between eternal and everlasting. God is everlasting. So we have looked at sort of the big picture as far as Bobbing's view of creation, where creation comes from, why creation comes into being. In our next episode, we will get into some of the more particulars, how Bob Inc. interprets the biblical accounts of creations, uh, why did he do it, to what ends did he create. Uh, but for now, we're out of time, so we're going to go ahead and pause. We thank you for joining us. Thank you, Caleb, for being here in the flesh and, well... <laughs> And doing whatever I do. Yeah. Opening my mouth. I mean, what do any of us really do here? Ooh, I don't even know. Deep. Yeah. We got ourselves a philosophizer. Yeah. So uh, while we sort out our existential crisis, uh, if you have any questions, comments, you can reach us by social media or send us an email, bobcast at gmail.com. And until next time, tote zines. Tote zines. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest Bobcast news and updates, visit bobcast.com or follow us on social media. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed for more great shows. Bobcast is edited and produced by me, Heidi Smith. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.